of these leaders use labor as the last resort. They try to get their people to think about other ways they could become effective. And using talent is sort of the last thing that they have. Have the staff and the combined brain power work on solving the cost issues rather than say, well, sorry, got to cut budget. And in the interviews I conducted, it was interesting. The top leaders were concerned about when we come out of the recession, how do we recreate the knowledge? If we just lay people off, we're going to have huge knowledge gaps. How long did it take us to really get top performers? Right. Big issue. You talked about these companies that have nailed the human resource piece of this, talking about the future. What do you find is the most meaningful forward-looking time frame? Are you talking about their planning time horizon? Typically today, everything has moved so quickly. With the speed of technology and change, it's difficult to have people think beyond three years. Right. We used to do strategic planning back in the early 90s, and people were in 10-year time frames. Today, it's three years. Mm And it's hard sometimes to get the executives to think beyond the current year because they're worried about what competitors are doing and what the market's doing in very short time frames. How often do they revisit those plans? Throughout the year or at the conclusion of the I year? I think the annual review is still the most common, but we're starting to see the leaders move to a cycle where planning is not a stop-start event, but it actually is a continuous activity. So what we're saying is organizations, for example, that have used balanced scorecards or strategic scorecards, coming back quarterly, and they're having these review meetings, and they're looking at what are the critical things on my scorecard that represent my strategy that are changing, and do we need to adjust the plan now as opposed to waiting to the end of the year? Right, right. Now, for this book, you've interviewed over 70 executives and thought leaders. During the course of those interviews, what has been your biggest personal aha moment? During the course of the study, we actually ended up with a very natural, unplanned experiment in which we did about half the interviews before the sky fell with the economy. So we had great, robust, oh my goodness, So you we had can't like get almost talent. a control group. It was almost like a control <laughs> group, exactly. And here we had about half of them, how are we going to get talent? And then half of them when everything was collapsing. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about that, I guess there's a few key observations. One is leaders continued to worry about leadership talent as they started losing some senior executives, maybe encouraged some of them out because they were the higher paid people or near retirement. They realized they didn't really have talent ready to take their place. Hmm, right. That was one of the big ahas that they need to continue to accelerate succession plans. Very interesting. And there had been a mindset in the 90s that we can just go out and buy it. Uh-huh. What they realized is that strategy hasn't worked as well. A lot of people abandoned a lot of development programs. They're coming back to that and realizing that we need a hybrid between the 50s where we maybe planned and developed people for 15 years. And unfortunately, they left after 13 years and all that investment disappeared and not doing anything and just thinking you can buy it off the street. Oh, yes. That was one of the big ahas. I think the other one is a recognition that top talent always has a choice, even in bad times. Your top salespeople, your top R&D people, they're the lifeblood of the organization. They can walk whenever they like. They can walk when they want. And what are we doing proactively to really manage that? I think that was another major aha. Right. Bill, in discussions with these senior executives, you've come across strong, positive role models for effective talent management. Do you feel comfortable calling out one of these executives and letting us know what makes this person especially effective? One of the people that stands out is... Gary Ridge, who's the CEO of WD-40. Okay. Gary told me that 78% of U.S. households have a WD product somewhere in their house. But what amazed me is that they're getting over a million and a quarter dollars in revenue per employee. I said, what is this organization doing differently to achieve those kinds of numbers? And one of the things that struck me is Gary's style, his leadership. Can you give us some examples? 
Gary will respond to email to any employee within 24 hours, any employee in the company, and they're all over the globe. He answers his own telephone. He is very approachable. He takes trips frequently, and he walks around and just talks and listens to people to get their ideas. What was very interesting about Gary's is my job in the leadership team is to help every employee get an A. Yeah. So what do you mean get an A? He says, well, think about your performance appraisal. Yep. It's our job to enable them to do that and to remove barriers. If they're not getting an A, then something we're not doing right. Mm-hmm. We haven't really focused correctly. That model is so different than the traditional normal curve where we can only expect 10% to be outstanding and everybody else is in the middle and we got some laggards. Mm-hmm. That model leads people to build systems, right. pay systems and everything that basically drive mediocrity. Exactly. Well, now that we've talked about a good role model, what big mistakes do you see executives and supervisors making in managing talent? Probably the biggest mistake is 